Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. A number of years ago, a woman started visiting the church where I was pastoring and she came pretty regularly and after a couple of weeks, she asked if, if we could meet. And so I said, sure. And we met and she started telling me about herself and I don't know that I was entirely prepared when she looked at me and she said, I see demons. <laughs> I said, I said, what? She said, I see demons. Like I, I see them wherever I go. I, I see them at my house. I see them, I see them outside. I even see them while I'm sitting in church. They are, they're inside the church, even while we're worshiping. They're there, I can see them. And then she went on to tell me that she had grown up in an occult family, a family that was very big into the occult, which is the worship of Satan and the worship of demons. And a lot of what she was experiencing as an adult had a lot of roots in her childhood and how she was raised. In fact, her father was, uh, had a, held a very high position in all of this and it had a big impact on how her life, how her life was going. But, but she assured me that, that she could see demons. Whether or, not, whether or not you believe that's true, we know from Scripture that demons have always been very real from the, from the beginning of creation, is that they were, they were created not originally as demons, like uh, they were created whenever the angels were created at the same time, and the demons, the bad demons, are, they were originally good. But they were led away by one main demon, Satan, and, and they followed him, and then they were confirmed in their evilness, and, and they've been demons ever since. And, and we know from Scripture that God has given demons the ability to make an impact on what, goes hap what happens in the world. You may not have any experience with that, and that's okay. I'm not telling you that you should. Experiences like the one that the, the person I was ministering to, uh, they seem to be less common in America and more common in other countries. But they do happen. And it even happened during the time of Jesus. Time and again in Scripture, we're told that Jesus had run-ins with demons. And demons, they had control over, over people's bodies. Um, they, they made people strong enough to break chains. The, the demons made them, made them blind or mute or had, um, they threw them to the ground in convulsions or they compelled them to, to pick up stones and started cutting themselves with it. Demons are also given credit for having an influence on, on what people think and how, and how they act. When Judas was making the deal to go and betray Jesus, it says that Satan entered into him and, and that's part of what compelled him to move forward. In the book of Acts, a man named Ananias was lying to the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Peter saw right through it. God gave him that ability and he said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? But demons, demons are real. But demons know something. They also know that Jesus is real. And we see that time and again in Scripture. Just a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 8, uh, when Jesus was faced with a legion, a legion of demons, Jesus said the word go and... And they went. Or in Matthew 12, when a man was possessed by a demon and he was blind and mute as a result, it said, Jesus, he, he healed him, and, and he was. In Matthew chapter 17, there was a demon-possessed boy, and it says that Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that very moment. In Luke chapter 4, there were many who were possessed by demons, and it says that Jesus laid his hands on each one of them, and he healed them. 
Demons are real, but so is Jesus. And he's always more powerful than them. I got to see that in a very unique way. The woman who came into my church and, and let me know that she could see demons, she was, she was tormented in a lot of different ways by demons. And one time after, after we had met a couple of times and after I discovered that there were other pastors who had worked with her previously, she was, it was during a time where she was especially troubled and I was sitting down with her and with another pastor who had worked with her previously. And as we were talking, the um, kind of the, what you might imagine as the stereotypical demon possession things started happening. The, uh, the temperature uh, drastically changed and, and her voice changed very dramatically. And she started talking in ways that just, that just were not her and started doing things, bodily movements and things like that, that just, that were very highly, highly unusual. And as this began, my, my friend who was a pastor who had ministered to her before, he took something out of his pocket. It was a piece of paper that he had had in his inside pocket and he unfolded the piece of paper and he showed, he showed the piece of paper to the demon and the demon stopped immediately. Not because it was a special piece of paper, but because of what the piece of paper represented. It was, it was actually a photocopy. It was a photocopy of the woman's baptismal certificate. The certificate that her family had received on the day that, that she was baptized. And that baptismal certificate was a reminder of something to that demon. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That piece of paper was a reminder to the demon that, that that woman was as much a part of God's family as Jesus Christ himself. And that as such, God held her. And God's grip on anything, just as Jesus himself showed time and again, is always stronger than the grip that anything else in life has on a person, even a demon. Demons are real, but so is Jesus. I have a friend who's a pastor, well, he's a retired pastor now, but he started out his ministry in a, a very small uh, mission mission type church, you know, where so the not not many people, and so a big part of his job as a pastor was to go door to door, neighborhood after neighborhood, knocking on doors, trying to talk to people about Jesus and invite them to church. And and the f first place where he did that was a, a place that he had never lived before. His family had never lived very far from what he would consider his hometown. But he tells the story of one day while he was out knocking on doors in random neighborhoods. He was in a neighborhood that. He had never been in before. He walked up to a house that he had never seen before, he had never visited before, presumably to talk to somebody that he had never met before. And when he rang the doorbell, the door opened up and, and sure enough, it was somebody that he had never seen before. And so he was very surprised when the person he had never seen before said, hello, and then said his first name. Um, he said, have we met before? And the person said, you haven't met me. And then this person standing at the door went on to tell my pastor friend uh, all sorts of things about his life, about the, 
like the pastor's life. Um, and not just like random things where you grew up and what you like and things like that, but, but very private things, things that he had never told anyone, including, including sins that he had committed in his past. And of course, you don't shout from the rooftops, but things that not even people close to him would have known and things that somebody who was just meeting him for the first time shouldn't know. And this person standing at the door went on and on and on saying all these horrible things that weren't, that weren't lies, they were true. Saying, I know you've done this, I know you've done that, I know, I know about this, I know about that. And then and got to the end of this very lengthy list and looked at my friend and said, and what do you think about that? And then said his name again. And my friend looked, looked the person in the eye, fully believing that this person wasn't the person, but that this was a demon speaking through a person. And he said, well, I think that Jesus died for all those sins and I'm a child of God. And then he walked away. And the demon couldn't do a thing about it. Now, if my friend didn't have that truth to hold on to, the truth of who Jesus is that we have faith in, that could have turned out very differently. That could have had a major impact on his ministry, but of course, but of course he did have that to hold on to. He had his faith. And that highlights for me the one goal that any demon has. However they try to influence your life, they don't care about controlling a person's body. They don't, they don't care about making a person strong or get them to speak in goofy or different kinds of ways. They don't care about those things. They only care about destroying your faith because they know something about the Jesus you have faith in. Number one, they know him. They know him. And number two, they are terrified of him. We see that in Mark chapter 5. So in Mark chapter 5, Jesus and his disciples, they see a man who's possessed by a demon, and it goes like this. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, this is the man who was possessed, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So Jesus hadn't introduced himself. The demon already knew this is who that was. In God's name, don't torture me, the demon said. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Then he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. They begged Jesus. They were terrified of him because they knew that Jesus could do whatever he wanted. They knew who Jesus was and they were terrified of him. And that's why they don't want you to have faith in him. Because they know there's nothing that they can do against the person with faith. This is why in Ephesians chapter 6, in the armor of God section, you know, when it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that that's the bigger battle that we need to be concerned about. It tells you to put on the full armor of God and one of those pieces of armor. It says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith is important and your faith is powerful. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, Jesus was talking to, to Peter, to Simon Peter, and he said, Simon, Simon, he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And how is it that your faith will not fail? Well, like the demons, it's knowing who Jesus is. He is the Son of God himself, who put on human flesh to rescue us from anything that would rip us away from God, even our own sins. And so your faith is like the demons, knowing who Jesus is, but your faith is also unlike the demons, not needing to be afraid of him. Because who is this Jesus? Someone who also prays for you and who already did. On that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Dear Father, please let there be another way. Because he knew the pain that was coming for him. If he was going to go through with giving you and me salvation and in forgiving us and making each of us one of God's own children, but there wasn't another way. And his father gave him the strength to make that sacrifice so that you could look to that cross and you could look to that empty grave and always see the same thing. Somebody who is worthy of our faith. You might know what a Ouija board is. Uh, a Ouija board looks just like a, a board game. It's, in a sense, basically just what it is, but it's a, it's, it's a board game that on the board, it has all the different letters of the alphabet. It has the word yes, it has the word no, different tools you could use to answer very basic questions. And the way the game is supposed to go is that those who are playing the game, they're supposed to ask questions of the board and it's supposed to give them the answers. And the way this happens, supposedly, is that there's another piece to the Ouija board. It's usually a triangle. And there are places on the triangle where each person can put their hands on the edge of it. And then in the middle of the triangle, there's a glass circle. And you ask the board a question, and it's supposed to magically take you to the place on the board that will answer, that will answer the question. So I have, a, I have a very close friend who many years ago, when he was in elementary school, was invited over to a slumber party with, um, with a bunch of people at a house. And at one point, they brought out a Ouija board. And they said, hey, let's, let's, let's play with this. And, and my friend had been warned about a Ouija board. Like, this isn't good. Like, it's, it's been connected with demonic activity, and it's, just, it's not a wise thing to use. But, but he didn't speak up. He didn't want to be, in the moment, the only person saying, let's not do this. Everybody else seemed pretty excited about it. And he thought, you know, what's, what's the harm? So they started, they started asking the board just random questions. And uh, there were simple types of questions. Um, I don't know what they were, but I only know that at some point they started to get a little more serious in their questions. And one of the questions they eventually asked, knowing that the Ouija board is supposedly connected with demonic activity. And sometimes they kind of sarcastically asked the board, is there a demon here with us today? And their fingers were on the triangle and it was on one side of the board. And as soon as they asked, is there a demon here with us today? It went straight to yes. And that got their attention. So then they pulled back, but they didn't stop. They, they asked another question. They said, is the demon who is here with us today um, the type of demon that can possess a person? <laughs> yes. And they still didn't stop. They asked one more question. 
No, two more questions, sorry. They said, is there, no, just one more question. They asked, is there anybody here that you are not able to possess? And then it started on one letter and then quickly took them to another letter and then another letter and then another letter and another letter. And it spelled out the name of my friend. And then they put the game away. And they didn't want anything more to do with it. And they were pretty freaked out. And my friend, whose name is not a simple name to spell, <laughs> realized something about demons. They know our names. They know our names. We're told, um, we're, you know, we're not, we're not told how Mary Magdalene in the Bible ended up being possessed by seven, seven demons. We are told in the Bible that often it happens that somebody opens the door, that they are, they're careless or they're playing around with something that they shouldn't be, and, and then demon takes the opportunity and just, and just, and just runs, runs with it. We don't know if that was the case for Mary Magdalene. We only know that she was possessed by seven demons. And we also know that Jesus set her free from all of them. And so she became his disciple. She was so grateful to have been set free from these demons that had such powerful control over her. She wanted to follow this man, and she did. She was there for him day after day after day. And so when she saw her Savior hanging on a cross, dead, and then taken down from the cross and buried, she was crushed. And I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I wonder, just looking at Mary's response as she was outside his tomb on Easter morning, I wonder if the demons started to try to make their home inside of her again. Because the Bible also talks about that, is that if demons are expelled once, they will try, they will try to come back to a place that was once very familiar and once very comfortable for them. And we don't know if that's the case. The Bible doesn't give any indication, but we do know as Mary was outside Jesus' tomb after the tomb had been opened and Jesus wasn't in there. She, she was so blinded by something that she couldn't even see Jesus standing right in front of her. Jesus himself alive. A face that she had seen so many times was standing there right in front of her and, and she couldn't even see him. But then she could. And do you know what the difference was? Do you remember what Jesus said? It opened her eyes and brought her joy back again. Just one word. Mary. And that was it. He knew her name too. Just like he knows yours. In the book of Isaiah, it says this. It says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God knows your name too. And he redeemed you. And you know what that word means? It means he paid a big price for you. 
and if he paid a big price for you, he's never going to let you go. Not for any reason. I want you to imagine a scenario. Somebody knows you're a Christian. They've just been watching you. They know you go to church. They've heard you talk about your faith and and they haven't said anything. They haven't asked you about it. Maybe they've known you a long time, but then one day they come up to you and they say, hey, can I ask you something? My, um, my brother lives you know, not too far from here and and whenever I go to visit him, something strange, something strange happens. Like, uh, just lately, I walk in the house and the temperature is just cold. And then sometimes I talk to my brother and it's like, it's not even him talking. It's not his voice. It's not his mood. It's not, it's not anything. And, and it's not the type of interaction that I, I'm used to having with my brother. We, we've always gotten along really, really well. But he's just angry and he's hostile and it even escalated to something a little more a little more physical that I just I just needed to get away and and there have just been little 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 signs of this but it's been escalating and it's more and he said I don't I don't have faith in anything I don't know anything but I know that you're a Christian and I'm wondering if if you might help me what do you do If you're ever confronted with a demonic situation, hopefully you never are. And based on most of the Christians, I know that you probably never will be, but you might be. So I want to give you three tips, three things that you can do if that ever happens so that you can be ready. And tip number one, I'd like you to pray for them immediately. Pray for them immediately. And the reason I want to start there is based on 2 Kings chapter 6, where the prophet Elisha was with his was with his assistant Gehazi, and they were completely surrounded by an army and chariots and horses, and it was overwhelming. The odds were overwhelmingly against them. They woke up in the morning and they looked out, and Gehazi, the servant, he looked outside and they were just they were surrounded. And Gehazi went to Elisha and he said, and he said, What should we do? What should we do? We're surrounded. The odds are against us. And do you know what do you know what Elisha did? He prayed. He prayed, "Dear Lord, open his eyes." And then immediately Gehazi looked outside and he saw something different. The enemy was still there, but so were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, an angelic army that had been there the whole time. He just didn't see it before, but the reason he saw it now was because somebody took the time to pray that his eyes would be opened. Your prayers are powerful simply because you are a child of God and your Father is listening. So if you're ever in a demonic situation, you pray. You pray that the person's eyes may be opened. You pray for the angel of armies, the army of angels, to step in. You pray. Number two, after you have prayed, get to know the person. Get to know the family. Get to know them as well as you can. Ask them questions. Where do they grow up? Where do they come from? What are they into? What are their hobbies? What are the things they like to do? 
And the reason it's good to get to know them is because of what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Uh, we talked about this briefly earlier in the week, but often the way the devil or a demon can get in is because somebody let a door open. When it says, don't give the devil a foothold, I picture like a door closing and somebody puts their foot in the door and, and it keeps the door open. Um, people can do that in any number of ways, playing around with um, things that are typically associated with demonic activity, holding on to a sin that they know they shouldn't be doing, um, you know, taking, taking their faith lightly, keep, anything keeping the door open gives Satan an opportunity and the better you can get to know the family and the individual, maybe the more you can identify something that they should eliminate from their life or something that they should stop doing. So pray for them, get to know them, and then finally, number three, you point them to Jesus. You point them to Jesus. And the reason you point them to Jesus is because this is exactly the reason Jesus came. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It is the only reason he was sent. If you think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when a demon in the form of a snake got his hold on two of God's children and everything was ruined. But then God made a promise that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of that stupid serpent and crush all of his work. And you might need to point them to Jesus again and again and again and again because demons don't give up so easily, but neither did Jesus. The reason he came was to destroy the devil's work. And every time you point somebody to Jesus, you will always see the same thing. That the demon has actually already been defeated. Already done. Victory is already theirs. And that demon actually has no legitimate grip on any one of God's children. Earlier this week, I told you about a woman I had met earlier in my ministry who said that she could see demons. Well, she said she couldn't just see them. She could also hear them. And she could hear them in church, like during church. She said that she would be sitting down in church and church would be going on and she could see the demons wherever they were inside the church building. They were screaming. She said at the top of, the, top of their lungs, just ugly, heinous noise, obviously meant to distract her from whatever else was happening. But then she said, but pastor, you know, there's one time during the, during the service that they don't, they don't scream. They don't make any noise. They don't say anything. And of course I asked, well, what's, what's that? And she said, well, it's when you're preaching. It's during the sermon. It's when you're reading the word and, and, and you're talking about it. Said it's like they want to talk, but they can't. And I thought, that is really cool. <laughs> I thought that's, that's just, uh, that's really cool. You know, in the book of James, it says, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. No, resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And of course, the word is where God is near us. 
It's where we hear God's voice. It's where God's voice is spoken, and speaking the word is how we how we speak it with one another. And, you know, and someone might ask, well, how do how do we come near to God in a way that we know that God is coming near to us? And we get we get some insight in the Gospel of Mark. Also earlier in the week, we were in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus met a man who was possessed by a demon who called himself Legion because there were many. And they, they recognized Jesus and they were terrified of him. And Jesus ended up throwing them into a bunch of pigs and, and they went off and did, and did something else. And, and everybody was amazed and Jesus set this man free. But there's something interesting that happened in the previous chapter. That Jesus and his disciples were out in a boat in Mark chapter 4 and a furious squall came up. Like a massive storm and if the bible is mentioning it as a furious squall and something that terrified even the disciples this was a big deal because these guys had experience on the water and as they're just trying to get water out of the boat and they're trying to survive jesus you might know what jesus is doing he's sleeping <laughs> he's taking a nap and so eventually they realize that this is this is hopeless we're not going to survive here and they see jesus sleeping and, and they wake him up and and they don't say, you know, please, Jesus, could you please help us? They say, they say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about us? I thought you cared. Why would you let us go through something like this? I thought you cared about us. They didn't use that many words, but that was the sense of what they said. And, and Jesus, he stood up and he looked at them and he said, he spoke to the storm. And he said, shh, or be still. And it was. It was calm. And then he looked at the disciples and he said, why were you so afraid? Why didn't you have faith? Why didn't you have faith? They didn't need to be able to keep the storm away. They didn't need to be able to handle it on their own. They just needed God with them, God near them. And the truth of the matter was, he already was. He was right there in the boat with them, which is exactly the place where he is right now. He is right there in the boat with you. Whatever your life is looking like, whatever is turning upside down, whatever winds and waves are approaching you, whether it's demonic or it's something else he's right there in the boat with you he is near you because that's exactly what he promised to do to be near you and what he guaranteed he would always do when he eventually climbed across and he forgave us for all the times that our faith has been so little for all the times that we've forgotten to look to jesus first for all the times that we have allowed our fears to overwhelm our faith. He forgave us and assured us that your Father in heaven will always treat you as the perfectly loved child of God you always are in Christ. God is near you all the time.